All right, hello and welcome to Running Through History with Coach Centraling. What we're going to take a look at today on this podcast is going to be Mexico. Um, so to start with, let's talk a little bit about Mexico's geography and how it's going to influence their their politics and their and their society and their economy. Mexico is actually one of the most geographically diverse countries in the world. It has mountains, it has plains, plateaus, valleys, rainforests, deserts, and it is it's a it's a humongous amount of 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 land. And so let's talk about some of those geographic features and what that is, what that's going to mean in terms of their political development. It, the mountains and deserts that I mentioned a minute ago, what that often does, what that means for Mexico is that these mountain ranges and these deserts are going to completely separate the different regions of Mexico. So a lot of mountain ranges, a lot of deserts, and what that means is going to separate the different regions of Mexico, which has it has made um, communication and transportation across the country very difficult. So regionalism is actually a major factor in the political system because of the the mountains and the deserts and even some of the of, of the terrain that is that's not that it's not the greatest and it, and, it, and it limits areas where agricultural is is possible. And so what that means, because they have mountains and deserts and what have you, is that they have a variety in terms of their of their climate. And it, you know, Mexico is is huge. It is four times the size of, of France. And, you know, its greatest distance is really north to south. So they have a wide variety of climates. They have really cold, dry mountains. They have tropical rainforests. And so that is also going to influence the political development of, of Mexico. And so what that means with, again, mountains and deserts and the variety of different climates is their natural resources are going to be also varied. They have a lot of oil, a lot of silver, a lot of other natural resources but what ha- what they've struggled with is they've often struggled to maintain these resources as well as they as they should have and a lot of that's going to be because of um of politics so a lot of these resources have brought a lot of wealth to the country and the government but not as much wealth and prosperity to the mexican people themselves and so you know as i said about mexico it's huge you know it's four times the size of of france it's a border with America. It's about 2,000 miles long. So a part of their political development has been um, the relationship that they have with the United States of America. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Mexico has about 122 million people. It is um, the most populous Spanish-speaking country in the world. And what has happened in the 20th century is there's been a big a big shift in terms of their population, where a lot of the people in Mexico are actually going to move into, into the cities. So it has urbanized relatively quickly in the 20th century, where people are moving from the rural areas into the, into the city. So about three-quarters of Mexico's 122 million people, most of them are going to live in the cities. And the cities, or they're going to live along the along the coast. Mexico City is one of the largest cities in the world, and it's going to have up to about 21 million people who live in it. And so that has has for sure been a big part of their of their that shift to the from rural to urban populations is for sure going to influence the political development of of Mexico. All right. So Mexico is what you would call, if we think about their their government. 
Mexico is what you would call a developing democracy. And so, and, 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 they're, and they're labeled that by a political scientist, that they are considered to be a developing democracy. And so what that means is that they have recently introduced democracy in the last 50 to 60 years, and they've, they've struggled but they are 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 doing a, and especially in the last ten years, they've done a better job when it comes to establishing their democracy. So let's talk a little bit about the history of of Mexico. You could kind of break down the history of Mexico into into three different eras. We have the era era of of colonialism. We have the era where they're going to gain their independence in the early 1800s to the Revolution of 1910, and then we have 1910 to the present. So when we look at at Mexico and how they're influenced by the history by these historical factors, we have to think about colonialism. Mexico was under Spanish control from 1519 to the early 1800s, and that left a very important legacy that that we can still see in their political system today. And so when you think about that, when the Spanish arrived in 1519, the area was controlled by by the by the natives and they were a lot of them were part of what was called the of the the Aztec Empire and so what happens when the Spanish are going to come in there is going to be a a population shift because a majority of the Aztecs are actually going to be wiped out by smallpox and there but there's also going to be a demographic shift because there's going to be a a a mixing of, of people, I guess you could say. Today in Mexico, 60% of all Mexicans are what you would call mestizo. So that is for sure going to influence their their demographic of, of Mexico today. So there actually is a, 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 a legacy of people of Spanish descent living in, in Mexico today. And another thing that's actually going to be really important during that time period of the of the, of the Spanish coming in is that's when they bring in Catholicism. You know, when the Aztecs were in control of that, of this part of the, of the world, they were polytheistic. They were polytheistic. They actually sacrificed a lot of people. They had a lot of, of, of gods that were based on, 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 um, on nature. And so when the Spanish are going to come in, they're going to bring in all these Spanish Catholic priests and they're going to convert the population of, um, what, what what used to be the Aztec Empire in modern-day Mexico to Christianity. And so that's going to be something that we'll come back to that's going to impact them today. And then obviously if they were a colony, they are going to be very economically dependent on on Spain. Okay? And so we'll get into that too. So that's really the first phase that we could look at in terms of their history is colonialism. The next part that we can look at is um, 1810 to 1911, and that is going to be when a wave of revolutions are going to to occur not only in in Mexico but also in Latin America itself. All right. So um, Father Hidalgo, I don't know if you guys have ever studied him. He starts the revolution, the revolutionary period there in 18 1810. But he is going to be um, executed. Father Hidalgo was somebody who really advocated for the indigenous people who were living in in Mexico, but it's not going to be until 1821 that um, a coalition of mestizos and creoles, creoles were people who were of, um, of European descent um, living in, in, in what is, is Mexico, that they are going to, uh, they're going to, to finally overthrow the Spanish and, and set up their own government. 
But the thing about this is, you guys, and this is true for a lot of countries in, in Latin America and countries in Africa, too, is, you know, they were a colony from 1519 to 1821. That's a long time that somebody was controlling them. And Spain didn't teach them anything about politics, economy, how to run your own country. So when they gain their independence, what's going to happen is they're going to struggle um, in terms of their political system. The military is going to be on the, on the, on the rise. They're going to have, you know, a, a variety of different, they go through like three constitutions in the 1800s. And essentially what's going to happen is they're going to have this, a couple of guys like Benito Juarez, uh, who is going to be he's going to be president in the in the mid 1800s, and then we have a man like Porfirio Diaz who is going to to come in in 1876, and he's going to rule over Mexico until 1911. So it, it's it's going to be there. There's going to be a struggle there in terms of 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 um, legitimacy of the government and instability in the in the country. Okay. And in that time period, you know, when we think about how how Juarez and how, how Diaz are going to rule, that they're going to be fairly authoritarian. And that political power is going to be really with just themselves and with a very elite group of people. So that is, is, is what's going to happen in that 1810 to 1911 time period. You could also say, too, that America is going to start to really dominate Mexico in the in that time period. By 1855, 1855, Mexico had lost half of their territory to the United States of America. Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, part of California, Utah, Colorado, all that is going to fall under the control of the United States of America. And there's going to be more and more investment from the United States of America in, the, in, that, in that time period. And that's going to help out some business growth and some um, economic growth. But again, it's, it's going to go to a, um, a, a very small group of people. So there's going to be a big gap between the rich and the poor in the in the 1800s under uh, first Juarez and then eventually under 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 Diaz. So that'll be what we're looking at here at the in the 18 in the 1800s. And so the next time period is going to be 1910 to to the, to the president. So really 20 and 21st. 20 and 21st century. There's a massive revolution in 19 in 1910, and it was a revolution against Diaz and his authoritarian government. It was a revolution about land reforms because that gap that I mentioned between the rich and the poor. And so they're going to revolt against the state that had been set up in the in the 1800s. People needed help. And so Diaz is going to be overthrown basically in 1910. And there's going to be a pretty chaotic period of time until they come up with a constitution in 1917. Okay. And so 1917, this, this new con- um, constitution that's going to set up a democratic government. It's going to have three branches of, of government. It's going to have competitive elections. That that is going to to end that authoritarian rule that had dominated the political system in the in the eighteen hundreds. But the thing about it, though, that I'll get into a little bit more is after that that constitution in nineteen seventeen, the political party, the PRI, is going to be set up the Institutional Revolutionary Party PRI, is it is called. And they are going to come to, to dominate politics until 
until the 2000s. So that's just a little bit of, of looking at the at the history there of of Mexico and and what they're trying to do. All right, so let's talk a little bit about religion and how that is going to influence them politically. The Catholic Church was for many, I mean just hundreds of years, very influential in Mexican politics. The church is not as prevalent in the political scene today, but religion still plays a very large role in Mexican society because religion traditionally has been very involved in politics, and there are some remnants of that that still affect affect politics uh, politics today. All right. And so when we just continuing on with religion, it was really up until the 1920s that the Catholic Church actively participated in politics. Priests were often leaders of populist movements. But during that revolutionary era of the early 20th century, the government is really going to develop a very anti-cleric position. And so the, the political influence of the church has declined significantly today. But again, as I said, large percentage of Mexicans are still very, very devout Catholics. Um, and that is going to influence their political values and, and their actions. All right. Let's look at Mexico in the, in the 20th century. So after the Constitution of 1917, the PRI, as I said, they're going to come to dominate politics. But there's not going to be really one particular person who's going to get a good hold or have a lot of power until Cardenas is going to take over in the 1930s. He was a leftist politician that promoted some rights for the lower classes. He had pushed through some land reforms. He pushed Mexico towards a more democratic system of government. But ever since Cardenas fell from power, Mexico has undergone what political scientists would call the pendulum theory. And this means that people who came after Cardenas have tried to undo a lot of, of what he did, undo a lot of the, of the reforms and the changes that he pushed through. And then the next group of people after them try to bring back what Cardenas originally did. And so it's going to go back and forth and back and forth for, for most of the, of the 20th century. So two things that have come out of that, two things that have come out of that, that instability and then that, that, that back and forth control of the, of the government in the 20th century, two things are going to come out of that that have really affected citizens, affected how citizens relate to the political system in Mexico. First is what is called a patron-client relationship. And so that basically means that in large parts of Mexico, especially in the South, people often invest a lot of faith and confidence in one person. Whether it's a local politician, like a mayor or a governor, and that support in that person is wholeheartedly, they do, you know, they support that person wholeheartedly with a great amount of passion. Um, they really believe in that person, this patron, who's going to help them and to, and to benefit them. And so they believe that this person will make their situation better. And so it's a very personalized relationship that many Mexicans have with their political leaders. The other factor in Mexican, uh, in Mexican society that came out of those historical factors that we have discussed are protests and social upheaval. That's very common to this day. Mexico have um, a relatively stable political system, but there are incidents to this day where people take to the streets, they voice their displeasure with policies, etc. And sometimes this leads to certain leads to, to outright revolutions. And we currently have going on in certain parts of Mexico outright rebellions. There are some people who are tr trying to secede from Mexico. And so this comes directly from Mexico's Mexico's past. 
One group in particular that has has revolted are the Zapatistas. Because um, one of the things about Mexico is um, there's a big divide between the north and the south. And, you know, northern Mexico is almost a different country from the area south of Mexico City. The north, that's going to be where it's very dry. There's a lot of mountains. Population is, is relatively wealthy in the in the northern part. And a lot of that is because of the trade with the United States of America. The south, though, is pretty, pretty tropical. There's not as many urban areas. They're not as influenced by the United States of America. And a lot of them are going to be Amerindians, Amerindians with less European ethnicity. And so there's, uh, there's, there's not as much wealth in the, in the South. And so one of the poor Southern Mexican... So that's where when we look at the Zapatistas, um, they are going to, to be... There's an uprising there representing the Amerindians that really felt disaffected by the more prosperous mestizo populations in the urban areas in the, in the, in the central and in the northern part of the, of the country. And so they have, they have, have rebelled. The um, Chiapas rebellion that began in, in 1994, that's going to be because of the social conditions conditions in, um, in in the southern part of Mexico, that there are some people in the southern part of Mexico that live in pretty appalling conditions, and they have very little hope for the future, okay? And so that's going to be, that's going to be a big, a big deal, um, and something that has, has dominated their, their politics. So let's talk about it. So the Mexican political system, although it is a democratic system, it is actually quite difficult to determine their level of democracy. There is a fair amount of corruption in the Mexican political system, and there's also a fair amount of organized crime in certain parts of Mexico, which impacts the, the political system and, and mars the democracy. So that is really why it's hard to determine how democratic they are. There are two large parties and one smaller party that dominate the political system. The PRI, they've been the dominant party for most of the 20th century in Mexico. I mentioned them earlier. They were in power from 1920 to 2000. Every president from 1920 to 2000 came from the PRI. So if you look at this party, it is often considered a centrist, um, a leftist party. And the other major party, the PAN, was founded in 1939. But it didn't have have any real power until Vicente Fox is going to win the the presidential election in in 2000. It was a huge upset. Um, And the PAN power is considered to be more conservative, more to the right of the PRI. And in the last 10 to 12 years, there has been more of a give and take with the political system in in Mexico. The PRI is still the dominant party, but the PAN has challenged them since 2000, which speaks to their level of democracy. So you could say that that, that, has, that has added to their, their democracy. There's also the, the PRD party, which is usually popular with a lot of the younger voters and is usually more educated group of people who vote for the PRD and who are there dissatisfied with the status quo that they see coming out of the other the other two political parties. Other factors that are going to affect Mexico, one of them is the military. 
the military has on a number of occasions been very involved in the political process and many of the rulers in the 20th century really relied on the military in establishing their authority and carrying out their policies. The military does not play as big a role today as it has in the past and this has been noted by many political scientists and this is added to their development in terms of a democracy. So the, the military impact on politics has decreased tremendously. The military hasn't been really happy about this, so that could actually possibly be a source of instability in Mexico. But that is something that has been important in their development as a, as a democratic state, is that um, going down. You know, even in recent years, the military has been heavily involved in efforts to combat drug trafficking. So, so yeah, that is, is something that is, is happening. Right. Another factor that imp- inf- that impacts Mexico and their politics is organized crime. Organized crime is, t- is tied in w- with the dr- with the drug trade. And both of these points should come as no surprise to you because this is often in the news. In the last five to six years, the Mexican government has really stepped up its efforts to stop organized crime and the drug trade um, That because that's, re- that's re- resulted in tens of thousands of deaths throughout Mexico um, and has had a direct impact on the Mexican political system. But yeah, I mean, just drug trafficking between Mexico and the United States has been a major problem for both countries for many years. It, you know, it goes hand in hand with, with, with corruptions in the Mexican government. Officials have often been bribed to look the other way. And even some of the, the drug runners actively participate in, actually the politicians actually actively participate in the, in the drug trade. When Philippe Calderon took office, he's really going to step up the war on drugs. He sends in a lot of troops, federal agents, into areas where gains control local officials. He was trying to remake the nation's police departments, trying to root out corrupt officials, support a lot of legislation to make it possible for local police to investigate drug rings, because none of that was happening before, that the corruption in the the drug trafficking Went, went hand in hand. Um, by 2011, America had widened its role. We were sending in CIA operatives and retired military personnel to the military bases in Mexico, where we were trying to work side by side with Mexican officials in collecting intelligence about the drug cartels, planning operations, things like that. So it is still a, a major issue today. Another issue that we could talk about that impacts the, uh, Mexico politically and, the, and economically is NAFTA. The North American Free Trade Agreement, a- Agreement, which people debate whether this has been good or bad for Mexico. There have certainly been some benefits to, to the Mexican economy um, by virtue of establishing a more level playing field as far as trade goes with Canada and the United States of America. But on the other hand, there have been some fears that, that the Mexicans are being used for cheap labor and that American goods are being dumped in Mexico um, for higher prices than the Mexicans themselves would produce them for. And so again, many people in Mexico aren't happy with NAFTA while the government is more or less forced to support Mexico because of the proximity to the U.S. And so they are, are very dependent on a good relationship with the United States of America. But the general population of Mexico, they view the effects of NAFTA very differently from that of the, of the government. All right, just to give you guys a little bit of information about the government, Mexico is, in fact, a federal republic. 
it, they do have an executive branch with a very strong presidency. The presidency historically has had a majority of the of the power. So the executive branch is a very, very, very powerful branch of the of the government. Mexico does have a bureaucracy. There's about 1.5 million people who work in the federal bureaucracy. Most of them are living in Mexico cities. Officials are actually paid very little, but those at the high and the middle level jobs of the bureaucracy have a great deal of of power. And there has been in the past a fair amount of of corruption in those in those in those positions. They do have a legislature. The Mexican legislature is bicameral. There's a 500-member chamber of deputies and 128-member Senate. Um, all legislat- all le- legislatures are directly elected. Deputies have three-year terms. Senators have six-year terms. Um, a lot of the legislative procedures actually look pretty similar to those in the United States of America. But the president still has pretty tight control over the, over the, over the political system. Um, and the PRI has dominated the political system for for quite some time. So really it's the three main political parties who dominate. The PRI, the PRD, and the PAN. Those dominate the political system. In um, Mexico does not have a independent judiciary, nor does it have a system of judicial review. It does have um, a, a code of law. not um, It has code law, not common law. The Constitution of, of 1917 is still in effect. It is easily amended. Doesn't have the same level of of, of legitimacy as the United States of America Constitution has. Um, Mexico has federal and state courts, but most of the laws are are federal, so that the, the those courts play a, a bigger role in the ju- judiciary than that of the of the state. The Supreme Court is the highest federal court in Mexico, and on paper it has judicial review, but in reality it almost never overrules any um, government action or policy. So historically, what you could say is the courts have been controlled by the executive branch, um, by the president himself. As in the United States of America, judges are appointed for life, but sometimes the judges will resign at the beginning of each presidential term, term allowing the incoming president to put the people that he wants on the bench in the federal and in the, in the state branches of the judiciary. There is this perception that, and there's some truth to this, that um, many of the, of the judges on the federal and state level are, are pretty corrupt. When we think about the, about what we talked about with the, um, the trafficking, the, the drugs and the corruption and stuff like that, there's been a, a fair amount, fair amount, large amount of, of briberies that are going to, of bribes that are going to um, take place. And that has hindered their, their democracy. All right, so that's just a brief look at their government. And so it'll be interesting to see what what's going to happen with Mexico in the coming in the coming years. Is it going to be able to sustain a a strong, stable economy? Are they going to decrease the gap between the north the economic gap gap between the rich and the poor, between the north and the and the south? You know, they've had a lot of instability. But they do have some pretty strong traditions that have been developing the last 30 to 40 years. They have a very well-developed sense of national pride. They have a lot of natural resources. And they have made a lot of progress since they gained independence in, in the 1820s. So it'll be interesting to see what, what it's going to look like in the future for them. Um, 
So that is that is it. So be interested to see what happens with Mexico as we go throughout um, the coming years if they stick on this on this democratic path. So that is it for this episode of Running Through History. Thanks for listening.